If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 197 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on October 1st, 2023, the first day of a new month, yet another new month here, but the last day of the 2023 regular season, both for the Yankees and for the rest of the league, if you exclude a suspended game that has to be wrapped up between the Marlins and the Mets tomorrow afternoon. But otherwise, guys, 2023, especially for the Yankees, not quite as of this very moment, because at the time I'm taping, at around 5 p.m., the game has not been wrapped up yet between the Yankees and the Royals here in game 162 this afternoon. But once it is over, and it'll be certainly over by the time you're listening to this later tonight, we can finally say that especially for the New York Yankees, the 2023 season, which has obviously been filled mostly with, to say the least, a great deal of frustration, disbelief, pain, and suffering. It has finally come to an end as of today. The 2023 season is finally over. Last week was the week when I really put a bow on the disgrace that was the 2023 New York Yankees season, so there's not too much of a reason to go through all that again this week, but I mean, we'll probably go through at least a little bit. You kind of have to now that it's officially over, but we do all know the deal. We've spoken more than at length about it. All the positives of which there were frighteningly little. Glaber Torres and his bat, for instance. Of course, there's the mental blunders, too, that we all speak about, but no doubt that he was a symbol, a rare symbol of consistency, efficiency, and resilience through all the negativity and chaos that was the 2023 season. You had the bullpen, although they had their rocky moments and times of injury like any bullpen does, still amongst the top in the sport, We had a perfect game this year, even if a lot of us aren't a fan of the man himself who accomplished it. Still undeniably a feat for the ages, though. That'll be spoken about when our grandkids are around like any perfect game is. It's definitely an achievement that exists for all time, as it should. There's also Garrett Cole, of course, about to win his first Cy Young. I'd say he's a lock, or at least he should be. Going to talk more about him in a bit. Had one more start this past week, and surprise, surprise, it was another gem. <laughs> you had Jason Dominguez. Only got to see a week of him, and that week was incredible. Made us real excited for the future and what's to come. But even that had an awful finish to it, and could have an effect on said future. It'll already at least be affecting 2024, or at least a chunk of it for sure. People saying that he won't be back until June or July even, and who knows what missing that kind of time could do to his development. Uh, you had Judge, 
having nearly 40 home runs. He's sitting today, so to end 37, to be exact, in just 105 freaking games, which is still an amazing pace, probably upper 50s or hugging 60 off the top of my head, if you have his current pace be over the span of 162 games, which is still incredible, of course. And uh, that's genuinely about it, guys, (laughs) as far as positives go. The negatives? Where to begin? Well, why don't we start at the biggest one? That's first and foremost, it seems, every single year the last bunch of years. Injuries! Not to be used as an excuse, though, because I hate that crap, but it is still always true. It's always there, massively so, year in and year out, so they can and should be mentioned, especially when it comes to the training staff. But speaking of Judge and others, and also in the same breath, injuries, why not start there? The amount of time that he misses, thanks to a stupid freaking cement slab underneath a fragile bullpen gate in Los Angeles. Rizzo putting up the worst numbers of his entire career after never being the same following the Tatis Jr. collision at first and the whole mishandling disaster of all that. Not to mention he'd gotten off to a career year-looking start prior to that collision, which makes it even more upsetting for us Rizzo fans like myself, because upon looking back on it, who knows the season he would have had if that never happened? And who knows what potential even longer-lasting effects he might have? I mean, he says he's all good now for the most part, and yes, there's a whole winter of resting and recovery ahead, and I agree with the decision to shut him down for the rest of the time going forward of the season when they announced that a couple of weeks ago. But the point is, concussions and its symptoms are a very unpredictable and slippery slope, so nothing is for certain. It's not for certain that he'll be back to normal next year. You just can't know for sure, at least not now. Stanton. My God, even as one of his defenders, he can't defend crap for 2023. Misses more time with more injuries this year, which is not a surprise given the past. And even when he does return, in times of great need throughout this year, the mighty Giancarlo Stanton, who has been seen carrying multiple teams all by himself on his back, especially the playoffs whether it be a Marlins team years ago, or even since he's come to the Yankees. In times of the utmost need, especially with Judge out, his counterpart, another giant who could carry the team, puts up some of the worst numbers of his entire career as well. Putrid year for him. And even he'll be the first to tell you. Which I appreciate, but... Doesn't change the fact that it was one of the worst years of his entire career to this point. And it is completely and utterly inexcusable. DJ showed a bit of a positive turnaround after the All-Star break with hitting a bunch of homers and putting the bat on the ball a bit more, but the vast majority of the rest of the year, I mean, it's more steps down for him on his decline of late. It's not good. You just hope it could turn around next year, but... The chances of it doing so, as he's now at age, what, 35? It's only downhill from there as far as age. You're not getting any younger. I mean, all those guys in Glaber, I mean, that's your meat and bones of the lineup, bro. And outside of Glaber, mainly negative. (laughs) That's a losing formula. You want to go even deeper? We can. Oswaldo, 
How about him after last year? Expected to massively step up and try to even just a little bit help mask the fact that the Yankees made no external improvements to the outfield and therefore the lineup as well as a whole. And he starts out the season like an absolute nightmare. Which then, as a result, leads to him being sent down a number of times and brought back up and basically being jockeyed between AAA and the majors over and over and over again as a result. He finished strong. Yeah, he did, and that I love to see that. It's good to see because we all love Oswaldo as a person. But that experiment, for the vast majority of the start of the season at least, miserably failed. Until it was already too late for the season. And that did play a big part in derailing the team a lot. It really did. Don't forget that earlier part of the season, how much Oswaldo getting off to the disastrous start the first few months really derailed things. Don't forget that. Then obviously in covering up all that, and the fact that they made no external improvements to the lineup as we said, they obviously used a bunch of duds like Jake Bowers, Franchi Cordero, and even though he had some flashes, also Willie Calhoun. But you can't deny all the better options that there were out there. I mean, it's ridiculous. You end up having to use those guys a bunch and even still see Jake Bowers out there in the lineup a bunch of times. Just making an absolute fool of himself. And then you move on from all the guys who had to substitute into there for all the Yankees' failures. You go to Volpe next. And I guess he's a mixed bag. Lots of inconsistencies. I personally love the glove. Love the guy himself. Love the over 20 home runs, especially from the shortstop position. And decent RBI numbers, runs batted in. Got off to a great start with stolen bases. His on-base presence was very threatening, but came to a screeching halt mainly because he just stopped getting on base, which was a huge issue for the entire team as a whole this year, as we know, having piss-poor on-base percentage numbers. But anyway, there are both positives and negatives to look at with Volpe's rookie season, regardless of which is more prevalent. The important thing is is that he continues to take strides next year and turn as many of those negatives into positives as possible and make those positives into even greater strengths. Shorten the swing with two strikes especially, take your walks, get on base, get yourself into scoring position whenever possible, play smarter baseball. The rookie mistakes are allowed to happen in the rookie year. That's what it's for. It's, it's for growing. They made that really clear that especially after the spring training he had coming into this season, they were going to give him that chance to complete his development in the major leagues. And unfortunately, it comes with the territory. Those stupid things are going to happen. Just continue to build on them in a more positive light as you gain more experience. Because that's the only way it happens. Those things are gained through experience. Same with all the other kids. Stay healthy. Keep developing. Continuing to go around, I guess you could also go to Bader. You had him up until the end of August. Obviously continue to have his injury problems for a chunk of the season, as did much of the team. But the injuries were a major issue with him on the whole. Hell, he came here hurt, as we know. But even after he returned from injury, he was solid again for a bit. He hit his big home runs, and it was great to have him back. I'm not going to pretend like it was miserable from the get-go that he came back from his first injury. But, man, did he fall off right up until he was grabbed off waivers at the end of August, not too long after that. His bat completely died. And he even had his blunders in center field, even though, yeah, the glove was still very important, but he was even making his blunders in center field at times. But especially the bat. The bat just completely dissipated. 
It was sad to watch him actually ultimately become detrimental to the team, like a lot of other guys were, but he did. He joined that bunch eventually, unfortunately, and ultimately he got grabbed off waivers and is no longer with the team. But he was with them up until just before the final month of the season, so he was definitely a factor too as to why this just didn't work out this year. Trevino. Jose Trevino reverted back to his Texas self offensively and then missed nearly half the season due to season-ending wrist surgery, tore a ligament in his wrist. You also had the amount of time it took to finally cut obviously already dead ties coming into the season with guys like Hicks and Donaldson. So all the time that took, and all the at-bats you wasted with them that could have been given to others. And then you look outside of the lineup and the field and the offense as a whole, you look at the rotation outside of Garrett Cole. I mean, mother of God in heaven almighty. Carlos Rodon, especially after his final start Friday, need any more be said? Is it possible to get off to a worse start of a long-term contract with a team than he has with the Yankees this year? Between missing like half the year due to multiple injuries more than half the year, probably, and then coming back and pitching the way he has? Madonna me. Severino, missing a chunk of the season himself, being hurt too, like he has been basically every year since he was extended four years ago, unfortunately. And then coming back, and mostly being an absolute nightmare himself, only to ultimately finish with another injury with the oblique problem, which is why he has not pitched in this final stretch here. And I feel for the guy himself. I I really like Severino. I think he's a good kid. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. But as a player, it just didn't work. It didn't work. Breaks my heart to see the guy himself get emotional in the postgame after the oblique problem the way he did. That broke my heart. But as a player, it just didn't work. Despite all the unbelievable potential there was, which makes it all the more sad at the beginning and the first couple of years he was here, saw him in the playoffs the way he threw and and just the electric personality and the electric stuff just makes it that much more sad, really. And you have to imagine we've seen the last of him in a Yankee uniform. You have to imagine. Nestor, Nestor Cortez. Some people may have forgotten that he even still exists because... He definitely regressed and spent most of the year injured himself. He has not been around. Herman had the perfect game and had his good outings, but he also had his bad times, and a lot of the time when he had his bad times, he'd get absolutely shelled. Sometimes it was really inconsistent. And you factor all that in, including with the -the off-the-field stuff again, with the way his year ended, and I hope he's getting the help he needs, but there's just no doubt that Herman overall is a lot. It's a lot of baggage there, to say the least. Clark. Clark Schmidt. Started off as a disaster, but then admittedly started to pitch better and find some consistency. He really shut my mouth along the way at some point. So we'll see what becomes of him, what the Yankees choose to do with him. Michael King is still in the starting pitcher transition. That could be good. Started today, didn't have the best outing today, but overall he's been solid. But the point is, with the rotation... Coming in, what was supposed to be a killer, killer, we were all gushing over it, a killer rotation of Cole, Rodon, 
Seve, Nestor, and even Montas, who missed the entire season other than yesterday, which we'll get to in a second. Considering what was expected coming in, it is the understatement of the 21st century to say that this rotation went completely off the rails. As did the entire team, having their worst season since 1992, with 2020 obviously being what it was in 1994 and 1995, not being full ones because of the strike. But regardless of how many people out there want to mention that the Yankees have officially locked in their 31st consecutive winning season, which we'll get to in a second as well, still their worst season record-wise and in a lot of other ways since 1992. With all of that factored in, the rotation, all the stuff we went through before that, you factor all of it in. The worst in decades. And here I am saying that I wouldn't brush through the team again, but here we are. As usual, can't help myself. So after all that, again, it's finally over. Officially, after today's game is done, which it's not yet again, like I said at the time I'm recording, but... You get it. Actually, they're in the top of the ninth right now, so it's very close. And this will be the last of the 2023 Yankees. Finally. All there is to do now, and we have an entire offseason's worth to do this, and even more than usual, too, with the Yankees not even being a playoff team this year, is to look to 2024. What moves can be made? Signings, trades. We've hinted at some the last couple of weeks. A signing for the rotation like Yamamoto in Japan once he's posted, with all the mysteries and uncertainties with the Yankees' rotation heading into next year. Perhaps a signing for the lineup and outfield like Cody Bellinger, especially considering the time that people are expecting Jason Dominguez to miss in 2024. Or maybe a trade for the same two things like Juan Soto. Maybe adding relief help, even though that's not nearly as important as the starting rotation mysteries and especially the lineup. Possibilities are endless. What the Yankees actually end up doing, despite them talking a big game these days, though, that's another story entirely. (laughs) In fact, one of the people that actually do seem genuinely upset and eager for change, though, is Aaron Judge, the Yankee captain. And understandably so. Bro wants to win. He had a freak injury this year at Dodger Stadium making a game-saving catch. And the guy's got to be able to know that he has a team around him that could pick up the slack in instances like that when he can no longer play. The man gives up his body for this team. We've seen it on more than one occasion. We've spoken about how having Judge as literally the only one in the entire lineup who can do anything is not conducive to being a successful team, having a successful lineup. It could be a main factor, But it can't be the only one. There are plenty of others who are here to do a job as well. And the team around him, the organization above him, all of it, completely and utterly failed. They failed in general, and they failed the captain. He and many others also won't hesitate to call it like it is. Like some in his very fan base will hesitate to call it like it is. And that is a failure of a season. Especially when you take into account the team's money and resources that could and should, and in some areas already do, get poured into this operation. Well, there's a video 
of Judge being interviewed by Meredith Morakovitz on the Yes Network from today. And I thought I'd play it on the show today because I like the things that he said. <laughs> I just do. So here goes Judge with Meredith Morakovitz on the Yes Network earlier today. Take a listen, why don't you? Yeah, we can we can talk about injuries, we can talk about missed opportunities, but I think it comes down to us as players, you know, not showing up when we needed to. You know, I go back to beginning of the year, you know, the Rays in our division ran off like 12, 13 straight. You know, we were winning series, but we weren't finishing off teams, you know, teams that we should be sweeping and beating. We just really couldn't get that last final game against them. So I think it's just really the urgency out of spring training to really start off hot, especially when you play in the in the ALE. So you got to you got to bring it every single day and, you know, start on that first series. Why do you think there was, uh, I guess, a lack of urgency? And how do you make sure that's not an issue next year? Yeah, well, definitely, it definitely won't be an issue next year. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. There's a couple of things that could kind of go into it, but I'm not going to. It's tough to say. You know, I just think guys, like I said, we just didn't come out with a sense of urgency. When you look at some of the things that have happened throughout the course of the season, do you, do you have conversations with Brian Cashman, with Hal Steinbrenner, with the decision makers about what you would like to see change? Yeah, I've been talking with Hal all year. You know, I talked with, with Cash throughout the season as well, and, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to both those guys and just kind of giving my opinion. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, the things, my opinions will change things, but I think just giving a chance to voice some of the opinions and voice of the players, you know, what we're feeling down here, what we're seeing down here, you know, I think it's just a good conversation to have to kind of bring us all together, you know, kind of get everybody on the same page. And I think if we get everybody on the same page, we're going to be, be good moving forward. Do you think there has been a little bit of a disconnect between the players and, and maybe the front office? You know, at times there's probably disagreements, you know, but I think disagreements are good. But as long as we can, well, once we disagree, I think it's best we kind of both look each other in the eye and kind of come to some common ground. And I think, you know, the next couple of years as we move forward, we're going to we're going to be right there, you know. And, you know, this is a tough year this year, but, you know, ultimately it comes down to us on the field. It comes down to us playing the game every single night. And, you know, we just didn't show up. And, you know, I take full responsibility as that as, you know, one of the guys down here, one of the leaders of the team. And, you know, we'll... We'll, we'll get that figured out for next year. Importance of finishing teams off. Urgency right out of the gate, especially considering the best division in baseball, which is where the Yankees play the American League East. 100%. 100%. Everything he says is right on the money. I mean, it's really tough to get off to the start that Tampa necessarily did, and he's not necessarily saying you have to do that, but... You do have to take advantage of every single game that's right in front of you and really finish off teams and have a sense of urgency when it's required, which is really throughout the entire season because even at the beginning, the, t- the games, they mean just as much as any other throughout the season. I know that there's the it's early crowd, but Judge is right, whether it be at the beginning, the middle of the season, or at the end during a playoff hunt possibly. If you have a team in front of you that you really need to finish off, or that you really should finish off with a sweep or really just convincingly win a series, win the rubber game matchup as opposed to losing, which they did so much this year with losing so many series that they shouldn't have lost, you got to finish the job. The urgency has got to be there. He's 100% correct. 100%. I do like that he's apparently voicing thoughts to those above him as well in the front office. Not that it'll always change anything, like he even said, but I do like that. 
shows that he cares at least a little bit to speak his mind. I also like the admittance that there obviously had been disagreements between players and the front office's approach. I think that's natural, but at least there's an admittance there. But it's very interesting, too. You can definitely tell that Judge had to hold back quite a bit and really be careful with what he said while answering certain questions. And understandably so, but yeah, point is, we'll see just how much it actually does change. I did think that was a very good interview, though. I liked a lot of the questions that Meredith asked. I'm very hard on the media with some of the cush questions they often put out there, but I think she asked good questions there. I think Judge, although he definitely had to tiptoe there a bit, as you heard, I think he gave good answers and shows that he really does care. I think his frustration and his disappointment in how the season turned out is evident in the way he speaks and the words he's using. So I just thought that'd be a good interview to play here on the show. I liked it, but it's up to you whether you like it or not, obviously, or if you even care to listen to it or if you think Judge is being genuine, that's obviously up to you and to your perspective based on how you think he's speaking. But I personally like that. But we'll see just how much change is made and maybe how much Judge will play a vocal role in that. With certain things being made, be like, oh, I wonder if Judge really recommended that to the front office and really played a part in those discussions. I mean, I doubt we'll ever really get a true look into how much of a role he would play in things like that because those things usually happen silently behind closed doors, but they'll know. They'll know how much of a role he plays in that and how vocal he is throughout the offseason about how much he wants things to change. So, again, just thought I'd play that for you. One thing's for sure, though, and I've said this already too, but again, it bears repeating in my opinion. Now that the season is officially over and the final out has been made, the Yankees officially, I guess they end as they played throughout most of the year, losing the last game of a series and losing the series overall, or just losing in general. (laughs) But again, I guess this is even more appropriate now in light of this, but now that the season is officially over as of now, the Yankees just lost to the Royals in the final game of the rubber game matchup, game 162, this is... The first time in my 16 years watching, I've been watching since late 2007, this is the first time I can remember ever saying that I'm glad a Yankees season is over. Will I miss watching the Yankees in general, not just in 2023, just the thought of watching them? Yes, I will. At least knowing baseball is around is a comfort to me. As someone who has it as their favorite sport, It's a comfort to me just knowing it's around. Even if the Yankees are putting me through pain, it's a comfort to a certain degree to know that it's still around, that I could just turn on the TV and there'll be baseball there, especially the Yankees. But the season itself, the 2023 season, and the way it went, I couldn't be happier that it's over. Could not be happier. And I have never said that before at the end of a season, ever. Even in the other years, since I've been watching that they did not make the playoffs. Because not only did those teams have a couple more wins in this one at least, but I also managed to still find more fun and positive things in those less talented rosters, like in 2013, 14, and 16, than I did with this year's team. 2008 is sort of on its own. 
They didn't make the playoffs that year either, but especially in 13, 14, 16, and it's definitely in 2008, that was a better team as well, finishing just short of 90 wins with 89. I just managed to find much more excitement in those teams, but especially with 13, 14, 16, because those were factually significantly less talented rosters, and I managed to find more positives and have more fun with those teams than this year. So I didn't even say this in those other seasons. I have never said that I'm glad that a Yankees season is over, ever. And the true tragedy when you look back at this season, I've said this before as well, but this too bears repeating, especially in hindsight. When you look at how the rest of the American League did in 2023, I've said this in the last couple of weeks, it really is a shame because the rest of the American League, with everyone's final records basically being in place now more or less, Again, except for that suspended Marlins and Mets game that has to be played tomorrow still. Everything's set in place. Except for the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays, which, yes, they're both in the American League East, and that stresses the importance of doing as well as you possibly could, especially considering the division you're playing in, based off what Aaron Judge said before, which is why he's so correct. You take those away. You look at the rest of the league, guys. The league was ripe for the taking. (laughs) I mean, it really is unfortunate when you look at it. The American League has never been in more of a vulnerable place, if I had to say, than it has been this year. And even if you look at Baltimore and Tampa, especially the Orioles, I mean, all credit where credit is due, a young, exciting, thrilling ball club finishing with 101 wins. The Baltimore Orioles, tip your cap to them, they deserve the credit. The Yankees were 6-7 and seven against them in their 13 matchups. So it's nearly a 500 record. The two teams both had games where they should have won and maybe they lost or they lost and maybe should have won. But they nearly won the exact amount of games, even with the Yankees being as disappointing of a team as they were. So you imagine how they were at full strength. They could definitely have notched out another win against Baltimore. You could possibly win a playoff series against them, despite them being the best American League team and almost the best team in baseball. So you th- take that into consideration. Now, the Yankees had a bit of a tougher time with Tampa. They were 5-8 and eight against them. But you never know what happens in a playoff series and if the Yankee team is playing to the potential that it's supposed to. So you take those two teams. You see that the Yankees were nearly at a dead 500 level, and who knows if they played in even 14 games of them. Maybe they would have been 7-7. and Who knows? I mean, you just don't know. It never happens. There's no way to say for sure. I can't say they would be. I can't say they wouldn't be. But if they could match the best team in the American League like that with a damn near 500 record if they played an even amount of games, and Baltimore's the best team, The rest of them, and the Astros actually clinched the American League West today in the final game of the season. So, congrats to them, I guess. What is that, six out of seven years winning the division now? (laughs) Something ridiculous like that. But they were 90-72. and 90-72. So were the Rangers. The Mariners behind them, 88-74. and The Twins, who won the Central, 87-75. and Only five games better than the Yankees. The Blue Jays didn't even win 90 games. They barely snuck in for the third wild card, only a game better than the Mariners. That's what I'm saying. So you factor in, if the Yankees played an even amount of games with Baltimore, they could have been 500 against them. So that's that's a head-to-head matchup if there ever was one. And that's the best team in the American League. The Rays are what they are. The Yankees always have a tough time with Tampa. Tampa always plays them tough. So say what you will about that, I guess. But my point is, 
you have the near even head-to-head matchups and head-to-head results with the Yankees and the best team in the American League. And then you look at all the rest of the teams outside of them in Tampa winning 90 or not even winning 90. The American League has almost never been more vulnerable in recent years. And the Yankees blew it by having an 82-win season. (laughs) That is the shame of it all. If they had only found a way to sneak into the playoffs, could you imagine what could have happened? At near or at actual full strength? My God. I mean, I don't think it would have gone well because of just how 2023 went. This Yankee team couldn't get out of its own way, and it just seemed like some sort of higher power was out to get them most of the season. <laughs> but, I mean, it really, really is a shame. And, and they tried at the end, I mean, 19-11 and 11, since August 28th coming into today, I guess 19-12 and 12 after today's loss. And to the best of my knowledge, that's been the best in Major League Baseball alongside the Baltimore Orioles, but I mean... It's a little too late now (laughs) for it to mean anything. There hasn't been a meaningful game in a week. So, it just really is a shame in light of all that when you really look at it and the kind of damage they could have done in the playoffs with all these teams not really being at their best this year. Didn't play as good as they have in prior years. They could have really taken advantage of that. Like both division winners, AL West, the Astros, 90 wins. AL Central, which has always been a crappy division for a long time now. 87 wins. The Twins take the division. The Yankees have an 82-win season. Sucks. It really sucks. What could have been if things had just gone slightly differently, maybe. But that just makes it all the more embarrassing and shows you how undeserving the Yankees truly are to make the playoffs because even in a year where the American League was right there for the taking, they couldn't even sneak in in a six-team playoff format. So if you can't even do that, where all it takes is maybe anywhere from 87 to 89 wins to sneak in there for a third wild card, you do not deserve to make it. And the Yankees did not deserve to. Definitely not. And with that, goes the 2023 season. So, that's wrapped up nicely with a bow, I guess. Just like it was last week when games officially stopped mathematically meaning anything. But now it's officially over, so I guess a second bow on top of the first one will do. Because why not? Can't be said enough how disappointing this year was. And I don't care about the fact that And it was posted on the Yankees' social media account yesterday, and I quote-tweeted it on Twitter because I just had to voice my opinion about it again. Like I had said a lot on this show as well, I I really voiced my thoughts on this because, I mean, it's truly how I feel as long as the games don't mean anything, and this isn't the decider of the Yankees getting into the playoffs or not. But, you know, the Yankees' accounts really flexed on the fact that a couple of days ago they had secured a season in which they would finish above 500. And I said in past weeks that it doesn't really mean that much to me as long as they're not going to the playoffs because they haven't played like a winning team all year, so I don't really feel that they deserve to finish with a winning record, nor do I really care at that point because of that. So I reiterated on Twitter yesterday that even though I'll probably be called a fake fan for this, even though I've said this before on this show, in light of not making the playoffs, I must tell you, I do not care. I could not care less about this achievement. 
31 straight seasons above 500. Now, you didn't make the playoffs, and it was a complete and utter failure filled with injuries, shameful mindset, underperformance, lack of accountability, the usual excuse-making, denial of reality as things are playing out right in front of us as if we can't see it with our own eyes. And the list goes on. I mentioned everything already. So you'll have to excuse me if I do not care that this streak of winning seasons has continued. I just I don't really care that much. As long as the Yankees are not competing in October and we went through everything that we went through in 2023 to where it feels like anything but a winning season internally, it just doesn't mean much of anything to me that the Yankees have continued this consecutive season's winning streak of finishing above 500. They were 82 and 80 and had their worst record since well before I was born over 30 years ago. I don't care. I don't care. Like, yeah, obviously, if I had to choose, would I rather them have a losing season than a winning season? Yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing that. But just from a perspective of how much it means to me and the true value, like, if they're not making the playoffs, it doesn't make that big of a difference to me. I just don't really care. <laughs> I don't really know how else to explain it. And you could call me a fake fan all you want, it's fine. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to follow my opinions. You don't have to do anything involving me if you don't want to. I just genuinely really find a tough time caring about that. And I think it's pretty dumb that the organization has flexed it the way that they have, whether it be on social media or at a press conference themselves maybe or just in a conversation with the media. I just don't think it's something that they should waste their time flexing. It was a failure of a season in every way, with a mere game or two separating you from a losing season. And there was nothing that sticks out in my mind, almost nothing, that makes this feel like anything of a winning season. So, I hope I've made some sort of sense of my thought process on that, but that was definitely another piece of news that the Yankees organization felt the need to flex about at least a little bit that I thought was a little silly to flex about. Just my opinion, but who am I? I'm just another fan behind a microphone, right? Right. So that basically wraps it up, guys. Long enough of an intro for you? I think it's long enough for me. So why don't we move on to Yankees news and discuss some roster moves and any sort of news that came out in this past week, the final week of the 2023 season for the Yankees. We start with Monday. Prior to that game, the Yankees recalled Matt Bowman from AAA and placed Tommy Canely on the 15-day injured list retro to the 22nd of September with right shoulder inflammation. So Tommy Canely, after he missed as long as he did into the season with his bicep issues, now is back on the injured list to end the season. Definitely not ideal, but obviously it doesn't make a difference as of 2023 because the season is over. Friday, they did reinstate someone. They reinstated Middleton from the 15-day injured list, re-added him back to the bullpen for the final stretch here, and optioned Yuendris Gomez back to the minors. And yesterday, they actually optioned Randy Vasquez down to AAA, transferred Jason Dominguez to the 60-day injured list, which obviously opens up a 40-man roster spot, which was then reoccupied by reactivating, for some reason, briefly mentioned him before, Frankie Montas from the 60-day injured list, who obviously has not pitched in a major league game for a year. 
And as of yesterday, there were a mere two games left in the season. But hey, whatever. Also, why option Randy the day before? I don't know. I don't know. Who even cares? I'm wasting my breath. <laughs> the season's over. Who cares? But I mean, I guess they found it necessary to give Montas one relief appearance. I just don't understand because I mean, what's one relief appearance going to do as far as making up someone's mind as to whether or not you're going to bring the guy back next year after you got him at the 2022 trade deadline? And since then, he has either been injured the vast majority of the time, and when he has not been injured, he has been a complete train wreck. So I don't know what one relief appearance does to sway an opinion one way or the other, to be honest. I just don't really get the need. I would have just kept him shut down two days left in the season. (laughs) But whatever, he got his relief appearance. We'll go through it briefly when we go through the final weekly recap of 2023 momentarily. Just bear with me. And really the last significant piece of news of the 2023 season, to be honest, I said we would mention this shortly, and here it is. On Wednesday, and I'm saying this more so now than in weekly recap because this really is newsworthy more than anything. So I figured I'd include it in news. But Wednesday, Garrett Cole mentioned he had another start this past week, his final start of the season. Well, he finished off his remarkable Cy Young campaign with a two-hit complete game shutout against a wild card contending at the time, now definitive wild card team, Blue Jays in Toronto. And this just sealed what we all already knew. And this was really just the start that had Cole tell the rest of the league, if there was an ounce of doubt left, well, here you go. Here's this start for you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, as they say. And this just reinforced what is really obvious already. And that is the fact that he truly did leave it all out there this year. I mean, amidst all the misery, Garrett Cole was, as we mentioned even in the intro, one of frighteningly few bright spots this year all throughout, from start to finish. Now that the season is officially over, we can confidently say what a remarkable An unforgettable season this guy had. Poetically capped off by a complete game shutout against a playoff team in the Blue Jays. And when it is all said and done, because Garrett Cole is, and if he isn't, should definitely be, a lock for the 2023 American League Cy Young Award. In the event that he does win it, which he should, he would be the first Yankee since 2001 to win a Cy Young Award, that man having been Roger Clemens. He is also the first Yankee to pitch to a 2.63 ERA or better with over 200 innings pitched since 1978. Take a wild guess as to who that is. Who was an iconic Yankee pitcher in the late 70s, in 78 to be exact. That is right, Mr. Louisiana Lightning Ron Guidry himself, having pitched to a 174 ERA with a 25-3 and record in 273 and two-thirds innings. Garrett Cole is the first one to pitch to an ERA this low with over 200 innings pitched since that iconic season by Guidry in 78, one of the better pitching seasons in the history of the game. And he's also the first Yankee since Rudy May in 1980 
when he pitched to a 2.46 ERA, that would win the ERA title in the American League as well. 2.63 leads the American League this season. Is that enough Yankee and baseball overall accolades for you guys? <laughs> Just goes to show you what a remarkable season Garrett Cole has had. We've spoken about it every week. So it is nothing we haven't said a million times already, but now that it's officially done with and he had a start like that to finish it off, as if there was any doubt, unreal, cannot wait until he's announced as the Cy Young Award winner for the American League, and we will definitely be talking about it yet again when that does happen right here on Yapping Yankees, guys. But otherwise, that's really it for Yankees news. And that's where the roster stands at the very end of the season, guys. I'm sure throughout the winter or maybe in the coming days here as the Yankees move into the offseason earlier than usual, that there may be some shifting here and there just as far as the roster is concerned. And obviously, as they get closer to spring training, it'll continue. That's really when it happens to really set things into place as they get ready to take action again in the new season and in spring training. But otherwise, that's... How things end, guys. And as I said, games-wise, well, they end as they played most of the season in a very appropriate way. Losing a game that they should not have and losing a series that they should not have. And no less against a team that lost well over 100 games this season in the Kansas City Royals. Fitting? I think so. But aside from just today's game, and we'll talk about that a bit as well, it is about that time we talk about this one and the rest that took place this past week in this meaningless last week of Yankees baseball. Meaningless in the sense, of course, they were mathematically eliminated, so the games didn't mean anything as far as the playoffs. But the games did still happen, so we should go through them. And the fact that it was the last week, of course, also makes this the final weekly recap of 2023, my friends. So without further ado, let's hop into that Yapping Yankees time machine one last time for 2023 and recap the last week of this dreadful season. Let's go. All right. So we actually start on Monday because Sunday we obviously know the Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks 7-1, which is the same score they beat them by on Friday. Monday was the makeup game for Saturday's rainout. And the Yankees actually had a very nice comeback win in this one. But starting in this game originally for the Yankees was Clark Schmidt. He only went four innings, allowing two runs, three hits, and three walks, striking out three as well. Lots of threes. But, you know, he didn't have his best stuff. Definitely did not have his best. But the bullpen outside of Nick Ramirez, really only allowing a run after only getting one out, and then Ian Hamilton, who would end up getting the win on the day, he went an inning and two-thirds, so nearly two frames, and allowed one run. But other than that, Weissert went scoreless, and Clay Holmes, who earned his 22nd save on the season, went scoreless in the ninth inning to seal the deal. But with the offense being quiet for most of the game right up until the end, obviously the Diamondbacks jumped out in front first with a two-run double in the top of the first, and then Austin Wells, who has really had a surge in power recently after hitting his first Major League home run in that blowout game against the Blue Jays on Wednesday, September 20th. But he would end up tying the game for the Yankees in the bottom of the fourth at two with another home run, a two-run shot. And that would end up being his second home run in the bigs, obviously. So he continues to look better and better as he gets more time, as kids 
will often look as they continue to develop more, especially in the majors. So I hope that continues next season for someone else like Austin Wells, mentioning that for the other kids, he falls into that category. The Diamondbacks retook the lead, though, in the top of the seventh on an RBI single by Gabriel Moreno, so that made it 3-2. to two. Then Oswald Peraza came right back in the bottom of the seventh and hit an absolute tank job into left center field to tie the game at three, a solo shot. Really nice shot for the kid. I love that. I love what we've been seeing with Oswald Peraza ever since his bat has started to heat up. Obviously, seeing a lot more plate appearances consecutively in the major leagues as opposed to just being sent back down and brought back up constantly like he saw a lot throughout this year. In this last month, he's seen a lot more playing time. You've seen that bat come around more, and you've seen the good defense displayed as well, whether it be at third and even shortstop getting some people talking because he has a very good arm over there at shortstop, and it's just good to see. Peraza is looking good. So very encouragingly tied the game in the bottom of the seventh. Unfortunately, the top of the eighth with Ian Hamilton on the mound, Corbin Carroll would get an RBI single, putting the Diamondbacks back in front. But in the bottom of the eighth, the Yankees answered back again. Oswald Peraza up with the bases loaded, and he drew a nice walk. So that tied the game at four. Estevan Floreal, who if the Yankees don't make any outfield moves again going into next year, Probably see him get some outfield reps again because obviously Bader's not here anymore. Jason Dominguez will be starting the year on the injured list, and if they don't make any other moves, I mean, what else would they do really? But in certain moments, he seems to have come through in the last few weeks, and even if overall he's not doing a lot of hitting on an overall basis, when it really matters, he seems to get it done a lot of the time of late, and he did it again here with the sack fly making it 5-4, and then Everson Pereira with an RBI single, driving home Anthony Volpe, made it 6-4, and that would be the final after Clay Holmes held things down in the ninth. So the Yankees actually took the series against the Diamondbacks, who also, as of today, are obviously still a wild card team. We'll have to see if they finish in a dead tie record-wise with the Marlins for the second wild card or not, depending on how tomorrow's resumed suspended game goes against the Marlins and the Mets, which the Marlins were winning at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just make sure that that is correct, and it is. So the Marlins were winning 2-1. to one. So if they win, it'll be even more definitive that the Marlins are the second wildcard team, but I'm also pretty sure the Marlins have the season series against them, so even if they finish in a tie record-wise, the second wildcard will belong to the Marlins. But nonetheless, Yankees taking a series at home against a wildcard team, so that's cool, I suppose. Obviously, the Yankees have not been able to say that about too many series for the last bunch of months, so it's always good, even if the games don't count. Tuesday, the Yankees headed off to Toronto to play their three-game set, final three games of the year against their division rival Toronto Blue Jays, who are also a wildcard team. And this is another series they actually managed to win, believe it or not. The first game, seeing Michael King getting another start, and he went six shutout innings, so another nice job by King. He did walk five guys, so the control and command was a bit off at times, allowing some base runners. Only gave up one hit, but listen, still kept him off the board, so still a tough lineup to face in the Blue Jays, so honestly... Very nice job still by King to at least keep them off the board. Brito pitched two shutout after that, and Clay Holmes pitched a shutout ninth despite allowing a hit for his 23rd save of the year at the time. And it was scoreless throughout the entire game. Less than nothing going on. An absolute snooze fest by both offenses until Austin Wells broke through the two-run homer to left center field the other way. 
to put the Yankees up 2 to nothing with his third home run on the year since being called up. Since the rosters expanded, and that put the Yankees ahead 2-0, and that would be the final after Clay Holmes locked it down, so nothing to really speak of other than that offensively, but that's all it took to beat the Blue Jays 2-0. And it was a bit surprising to see from a lineup like that that the Blue Jays have, with a team that was fighting to hold on to their wild card spot and possibly even take the second wild card, going out there so quietly that night. And the same thing would happen on Wednesday, but there's more of a reason for that at least when it comes to who they were facing, and that was Garrett Cole. This is the start that I mentioned earlier. That was a complete game shutout, an absolute gem for Cole's last start in his Cy Young campaign. Nine innings, two hits, no walks, no runs, and five strikeouts. And again, just to cap it off, Cole's final numbers, 15-4, and four, and a 2.63 ERA in 209 innings pitched with 222 strikeouts, a whip of .98. Also, his second complete game shutout of the year was not his first one. And even the home runs, you'd have to mention this too. This was the best year that he has had with the Yankees, home runs-wise, because his first year here was 2020, obviously. Pitched to a 284 ERA, had himself a very nice season, but in 73 innings, he gave up 14 home runs. So, about triple that, because that's the amount of innings, give or take, that he threw this year. You're talking about home runs possibly around 40. In 2021, he allowed 24 home runs in 181 innings pitched, so that wasn't that bad. And last year, he had a bit of a home run problem, allowing in 202 thirds, 33 home runs. And this year, after not even allowing one home run back in April, if you recall, in 209 innings, he only allowed 20 home runs. So his best year as far as controlling home runs so far with the Yankees. Just best year all around, I would say. Just a really remarkable season that he had. So caps it all off with a complete game shutout against the Blue Jays. So obviously the Blue Jays didn't score anything. As far as the Yankees, Aaron Judge had himself another hell of a night with two home runs, consisting of most of the Yankee offense yet again, four out of the six runs. His first home run was a two-run shot, his 36th of the year that came in the top of the fourth, driving home DJ, Apo Taco yet again for the captain. And his second home run came in the top of the seventh, to left center field, driving home Oswald Peraza. Absolute bomb on a hanging changeup. And the other two runs came in the top of the fifth from a two-run single by John Carlos Stanton. Final score for the Yankees in that one was 6 nothing, And it would be the same score the very next day, although the shoe would be on the other foot. The Yankees would be the ones losing 6 nothing. So the Yankee offense doing nothing against Chris Bassett, having seven hits on the night but not able to push any runs across. A hit each for Austin Wells and Giancarlo Stanton, two hits for Oswaldo Cabrera, and a hit for Volpe, Pereira, and Floreal as well, but again, not enough to push any runs across. The Blue Jays scored six. Luke Weaver started for the Yankees, did not have an awful start, but not the best either. Four innings, six hits, two runs, one walk, and six strikeouts, so I had a bit of strikeouts, but also a bit of hits allowed. It was mainly Zach McAllister, who in one inning gave up three runs who really gave up a chunk of them, the other run being charged to Weissert in the fifth inning. And the Blue Jays beat them 6-0 to salvage a game in that set, still really baffled as to how they let the Yankees win a series when those games meant as much as they did. But hey, 
like I said, one of the few things to look forward to with the Yankees in the last few weeks was them hopefully destroying some potential playoff hopes for teams who were in the hunt. And they really did a good job in trying to do that with the Blue Jays, obviously, except for the final game. But still took the series, so amidst times that don't really mean much, that's still a plus. And then they would move on to their final series of the season in Kansas City with the Yankees obviously taking on the Royals at Kauffman Stadium, one of my personal favorites. I love the fountains in the background. I've always said that. And well, this one's pretty fast because the Yankees were down unbelievably before you could even blink. How many games have we said this for this year? (laughs) More than I care to count. And it's not a good thing to have to say. The only runs the Yankees managed to push across in this one were five runs, four of them thanks to Austin Wells. When the Yankees were already down 10-0 in the top of the fourth, he hit a three-run shot to right field, so another home run for Wells, his fourth. So it was 10-3 Kansas City at that point. Then Everson Pereira on a ground out drove home Peraza, made it 10-4, and then on a ground out of his own, driving home Aaron Judge, Austin Wells got another RBI for himself, four RBIs on the dreadful night, and that happened in the top of the sixth, but otherwise, the main story of this game is how horrendously Carlos Rodon was yet again. And of course, this would obviously be his final start of the year. So he finishes at 3-8 and eight with a 6.85 ERA in 14 starts. Words do not exist to describe how disgraceful of a first year this was in pinstripes for Carlos Rodon. As I said in the intro of the show, when you find someone who had a worse first year of a long-term contract than Carlos Rodon did here this year with the Yankees. Please let me know. Between finishing in 14 games with an ERA of damn near 7 and missing more than half of the year with multiple injuries, I mean, I don't really, I don't know how much worse it can get. I really don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I didn't want the guy because I've been very open and honest about admitting that I did. I mean, you can listen back to the episodes from last offseason if you don't believe me. I I own up to all of my opinions and thoughts. But my God, that does not mean I cannot hold him accountable because he had... <laughs> I mean, it's a season that you, can, you can't even dream up in your worst nightmares. Horrible. Horrible. Cannot happen next year. I do not give up on anybody, especially because you really don't want to have to when it comes to Rodon because you see how many years are left on the contract. We're still going to have him for a while. So you want him to bounce back. But even aside from wanting him to or basically needing him to, I don't give up on anyone just one year in. So I'm going to give him another shot, clean slate in 2024. But if he comes out having the amount of injury issues that he did this year and he comes out performing anything like he did after he returned from said injuries all the way through to the end, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) The Yankees are going to have a big problem on their hands with this guy. And the way that he reacted, now listen to this final line that he had in this game. First of all, the most noteworthy part about this start is the fact that he did not record a single out amidst what happened. This guy allowed six hits, eight runs, two walks, and didn't strike anybody out. And there was a home run mixed into all of that chaos. 
and Rodon has definitely had quite a bit of trouble keeping the ball in the park since his return. So, when this was happening, the thing that drove me the most crazy, and what really strikes me as a plain attitude problem, Matt Blake went out to talk to Carlos Rodon, and Rodon basically turned around and gave Matt Blake his back. My dude, you have not even remotely earned the right to do something so preposterous and outright obnoxious. You are out there on the mound getting absolutely and utterly shelled by a team that has lost over a hundred games. You have not earned the right to turn your back on the pitching coach who is out there trying to settle you down and get you right because you are embarrassing yourself and you have the nerve to turn your back. Are you serious? Even the Yankees themselves, if I remember correctly, after the game said if these games actually meant something, then Carlos might be subject to some discipline after that. And I don't blame them for feeling that way. Despite my feelings towards the Yankees as a whole for the season they just had, with this particular instance, I cannot blame them for feeling that way and saying that. That is completely absurd behavior from someone who has had nothing short of a disgraceful season. Turning your back on the hitting coach after what you have done in 2023 in the first year of your contract. How dare you, Carlos? (laughs) Like, honestly, I hate having to talk to players on the team that I root for this way or speaking in this manner on this show. Not that I really hold much value. Again, I'm just another fan behind a microphone. But my God, where do you find the nerves to do that? And then he had some post-game quotes saying about how he's going to spend time completely on his own right after baseball's over. He doesn't have a place too far from Kansas City, so he's going to go there after the season's over without his wife, without his kids, and just not think about baseball, not think about anything, and just sort of mentally reset, it sounds like. And then he'll go back up to spend some time with his family for the rest of the offseason. Listen, whatever you want to do, Carlos, do it. I, I don't I don't really care. It's your prerogative, and I'm pretty freaking disgusted with you after 2023 as it is. And yeah, are those pretty weird quotes to say? Yeah, probably is. It's pretty strange. He's a strange guy. I mean, that's the impression that I get off him in his first season here. Maybe that'll change. Maybe his performance will change. Please, God, make a change. But regardless, the only thing that matters is if that is what's going to help you bounce back in 2024 and sort of make you hit a mental reset, dude, then go do what you have to do. Whatever it takes. Because this cannot, not even a fraction of this can happen in 2024 if the Yankees hope to compete. They need Rodon to be at least serviceable. Because this rotation, as we've mentioned, has a lot of mystery going into 2024. If the Yankees don't make any signings for it, then they're going to have a lot of decisions to make. They have Garrett Cole, and obviously they're, they're hoping that Rodon will be there. Obviously you still have Nestor, but, I mean, he was hurt for most of the year. And when he was on the mound, he regressed quite a bit. So that's not a sure thing, not nearly. Nothing's a sure thing, but he's very far from a sure thing. And you have other candidates in there, like you have Michael King trying out for the rotation. We'll see if the Yankees stick with that going into 2024. We'll see if they even bother to bring Montas back on a one-year prove-it deal, which I don't really see the need in doing. I mean, if they get a real bargain for it, I, I guess why not, but... 
but still, the guy has not proven anything to deserve it. And then you also have, we'll see where Domingo Herman's at. You have Clark Schmidt, of course, as an option too. So, but I mean, that's that's all over the place. That rotation is completely disheveled with complete uncertainties. So if Rodon is anything like this next year, it's not going to be good, guys. But one thing that was for sure, this was the height of unacceptable. This start by Rodon. Both because of what actually took place and who it took place against. The Kansas City Royals. Can not happen. Cannot. So do what you got to do this offseason, Carlos. Regardless of what you do, get it right next year. So because of this mainly, the game was over before it even began. The final score was 12-5. to Fortunately, yesterday the Yankees came out, and even though the offense was quiet for a while, almost halfway into the game, they ultimately did end up getting the job done when all was said and done. Starting this game was Clark Schmidt one last time. In four innings, he gave up eight hits, so allowed a lot of base runners. Only allowed two runs, but did allow a lot of people on base, so didn't necessarily have his best again. Again, only going four innings. Which allowed for Frankie Montas, after just being activated off the 60-day injured list, to get that one relief appearance that Aaron Boone said he'd probably get before the end of the season within the final two days. He went an inning and a third, allowing two hits to start the inning, his second inning of work. And then he would end off with a strikeout, his only one, and he also did allow a walk. But that was the end of his outing, did not allow any runs to score, mainly thanks to Greg Weissert, who would strike out the next two batters after he allowed the first two to reach base to start the inning. Did Montas, but Weissert struck out the final two hitters, not allowing either of them either of their base runners, rather, to come home and score and be charged to Montas. So he was in a bit of trouble there in his second inning of work, so make of that what you will. But that's why I don't really think he really earned much of anything one way or the other because it's just not enough. It's an inning and a third's worth of evidence after not throwing the entire year and on top of what 2022 was. So what do you really make of it? I don't know. It's going to have to be a decision the Yankees make. But he would end up getting a win on the day nonetheless, because he was pitching in that fifth, and the Yankees would end up grabbing the lead after that in the sixth. So since he started that fifth inning, he would get the win. So in his one outing the entire season, he got a win for it. So he finished the season 1-0 with a nothing ERA. Make of that what you will, guys. And the bullpen the rest of the way out between Ian Hamilton and Clay Holmes covering the final three innings. Holmes earning his 24th save of the year. They would keep it locked down while the Yankee offense did their thing. When they were down 2-0, Oswaldo Cabrera got them on the board with an RBI single, followed by an RBI single by Everson Pereira as well. And with the game tied at 2 in the top of the 6th, Estevan Florial got an RBI single to put the Yankees ahead 3-2. And then landing right in front of the center fielder Blanco, Gleyber Torres got a two-run single, driving home Florial. And DJ LeMahieu putting the Yankees ahead 5-2, and that would be the final, and this would also be the last win the Yankees get in 2023, their 82nd and final victory. Because as I said earlier in the show, they would unfortunately fall today. Michael King took the mound for the final game of the season, and he did not have himself a good start. So, listen, he's had 
a ton of good starts since the Yankees have been trying to transition him to the rotation, so he's allowed a bad one. It just, you know, sucks that it has to be in the last game. But again, it is sort of appropriate for the season because the Yankees end the way that they played for the vast majority of the year. But King's final line, four innings, eight hits, four runs, and he allowed three home runs. So he had a tough time keeping the ball in the park today, only striking out one. And Brito in three innings would also allow a run after him to put the Royals up 5 nothing at the time after a Salvador Perez sacrifice fly. And the only two runs the Yankees scored today came on an IKF two-run single in the top of the sixth, and the Royals would seal the deal by winning 5-2. to two. The Yankees lose the final series and the final game of the season. Like I said, only appropriate based on how 2023 went. And that is how things end with the Yankees finishing with an 82-80 record in 2023. And speaking of IKF, that's another player that they're going to have to make a decision on when it comes to what they want to do with him for next year because they only signed him to a one-year deal, so he's a free agent as of this winter. So it's only appropriate we bring him up as well because it's another decision they'll have to make. But because of the kids they have, I really don't think that he's going to be needed when it comes to utility next year. Plus, having to spend $6 million to maintain is just really, it's not really worth it. So I'd personally let him walk, but that's just me. In any event, that is the end of the season, guys, and that is also the end of the final weekly recap of 2023. And that leaves us with just one last segment to go here on today's Yapping Yankees episode, episode 197, wrapping up the 2023 season. And this week's social media segment, we return to a question, me asking you an open-ended question. Now that the season's over, it's really only uh, the only appropriate question I could think of, really the only one that matters at this point now that the season's over, and we can officially reflect on the entirety of it now that it's completely done. But as we reflect on this year and reflect on all past Yankee seasons, now that this one's officially over, I figured I'd ask all of you, when you really think about every Yankee season you have witnessed in your time as a fan, which seasons in your lifetime as a Yankee fan come to mind that were worse than this one, if any? Was this one the worst for you? Because other than looking on to 2024, which we have briefly here and will of course continue to next week in our first official off-season episode of this year, and we will continue to throughout all winter, we have done multiple off-seasons here on Yapping Yankees, and it'll be just another one. We'll start to really kick things into gear come next week, now that the games are obviously officially over. But before we fully get into that mode, now that the season just ended, I figured this would be a good question to ask and just really... Think about it for a second now that it's officially over. Is this the worst one for you? Me personally, like I said, I've been watching since late 07. The only other teams that have not made the playoffs were the 2008 team, and they still managed to win 89 games, so obviously much better than an 82-win dreadful 2023 Yankees team. 2013, 14, and 16, they did not make the playoffs either but they also all had more wins than this 82-win 2023 Yankees team. And like I said earlier, despite having less roster talent, admittedly, they still managed to be a lot more intriguing and fun at times than this year did. I'm sorry, they just managed to. So the only other playoff team that I could imagine being anywhere near dreadful, as this one was this year, was 2021. 
They still made the playoffs, albeit only the wild card round, and had a horrible ending to it, as many playoff series did for the Yankees in the last bunch of years. But 2021 was especially humiliating, especially considering how awful the offense was that year. And the team was just really lifeless. Didn't really do much to impress much of anyone. And the ending really fit the bill. That was a really dreadful season. Covered that entire season on Yapping Yankees, of course. I've covered every season since 2019 in May. May of 2019 and on, I have covered every second of this team that could be covered. So I remember it like it was yesterday, and if I had to pick a playoff team, a team that actually made the playoffs definitively, that made it to being anywhere near as dreadful as this year, it'd have to be 2021. Because that year also, to make the playoffs... They only won 92 games, which, yes, other organizations and teams and fans would kill for, but in the grand scheme of making the playoffs, it's not an unbelievable amount of wins. Usually you picture a playoff team, they win like 95-plus. But that team just really did not feel like it had anything special to it. You just really didn't feel like they were going to go far at all. At least I didn't. And they didn't because they got humiliated by their arch-rival Red Sox at Fenway Park in a one-game wild card. And they just really managed to limp their way into the playoffs. I mean, the mentality was also just horrible heading into those playoffs because I don't know if you remember, but in the last three games, they lost a really painful game 4-3 to against the Rays at home. Then they got killed by the Rays 12-2, second to last game of the year. And then in that last game of the year, they only managed to squeeze away a one nothing win on a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth on a weak infield grounder by Aaron Judge, and that just managed to squeeze them into the playoffs after, you also have to remember Gio Rochella sacrificing his body as well, and limping over to the Yankee dugout afterwards, which is really symbolic because of the way the Yankees just like limped into the playoffs after getting the crap beaten out of them by the Rays for the vast majority of the series, especially in Game 2, and just really being quiet, the offense real silent as they were for most of that year, as they were this year as well. It was just obvious that they were an inferior ball club. And then obviously only to get their asses absolutely handed to them by the Red Sox in Boston, humiliatingly so, in a one-game wildcard matchup. So, my original point being, if I had to pick a Yankee team that actually did make the playoffs that came close to how dreadful this year was, probably 2021. But the others, I mean... Amongst all the seasons I can think of that I watched from 2007 to now, this one, obviously record-wise, factually, mathematically, is the worst. But also, just given all the factors that went into it to make this season as dreadful as it was that we have spoken about both today and throughout most of the season every single week nearly, this is by far my least favorite season and least favorite Yankee team that I have ever watched And I will go forward doing my damnedest to just try to feel like this season never even happened. (laughs) Because it was that bad. I mean, I know a lot of teams would kill for an 82-win season, but you got to remember something. Like I always say, this is the Yankees with their money, their resources, their ability, their personnel that should be just the best around, the best in the world. This is a failure in every single way. You just can't deny it. I don't care how much you value a winning season, which in this case, with it not making a difference with making the playoffs, I don't know how it could mean that much to you, but even if it does, 
just about everything about this season, every single factor was a failure, a collective failure. And like I said, even the players will not hesitate to let you know of that. So, I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. I have never personally seen a worse Yankee team. This was the worst for me. So let's see what you guys say, especially those who are older than me. Because, of course, I was, again, born in early January 1997. So I was alive for the 98, 99, and 2000 teams as well that won. Although I was not nearly old enough to enjoy it or even understand what was going on, so I don't count those. I remember 09 like it was yesterday, but also in the same breath like a lifetime ago. Really weird. But... I started watching in late 07 when I was 10 going on 11 years old. And this is definitely the worst. So for those who have been around much longer than me and have been able to be fans as a result of that for much longer than me, let's see what you have to say. At Brian CPT says, 1990 and 1991, they were really bad. Mattingly was elite throughout 89 but went down in 90 with an injury. No prospects, bad veterans, no pitching. There was nothing to look forward to each day. The future looked absolutely hopeless. Things were a bit better in 92, but 93 was when it turned around. Yeah, I've always heard about that era. Late 80s into the early 90s. Yeah, before it started to turn around in 93, sounds absolutely brutal. Yeah, obviously 92 was their last losing season, as the Yankees are so proud to mention all the time. But despite 2023 continuing the winning streak to 31 years in a row of winning seasons, this was still the worst season since that losing season in 92, nonetheless. So, yeah, 93 definitely when it started to turn around, then obviously 94 and 95 were weird because of the strike, but 95, they did go back to the playoffs finally. And, well, 96 and on, we know. So, but yeah, late 80s into the early 90s for sure. I just wasn't around for that, but I can only imagine. That sounds awful. I mean, I consider myself to be a pretty decent Yankees historian, so I do know of the good and bad eras. Obviously, there are a lot more good in the history of the Yankees, but I do know of the bad eras of the Yankees as well. And that definitely was one of them that I know of. But this year, amidst being as bad as it was, really has forced me to look even more in-depth at those eras, and that is definitely one of them. Glad I wasn't around for it. <laughs> Next is at BenRiseKing01, saying, Wow, good one. If I had to pick, a worse team to come to mind was 2004, the collapse to Boston. And 2021, only because that team was just bad and had no business making the playoffs, and I wasn't alive in the 80s. All right, well, I would disqualify 2004 only because, I mean, this is just regular season discussion, really, but from a postseason perspective, I totally understand. (laughs) The biggest collapse ever. And I actually said about 2021 as well when it comes to actually coming up with teams that come close to this but actually did make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you said it. They just, they did not have business, and they just really limped into it and just managed to sneak right in on an infield hit. (laughs) I mean, listen, you get it done however you get it done. But that team, wasn't it? At Laura underscore Iceman says, This season, nobody stepped up other than Glaber, who was consistent all season long once Judge got injured. I've been saying that, Laura, 100% true. 
Totally agree. Credit to Glaber for that. He has his mental blunders that we all talk about often, but how he did this year in the face of unending, awful baseball being played, no offense whatsoever, he was like the one shining bright all throughout in that lineup. He was it, and that's what makes it tough to just easily say, yeah, let's just dump him off. Because overall, too, you're not going to find many other second basemen who could give the production that he gave you and has given you for the last couple of years now. It's tough. At B. Welch 1943 says, The year that Thurman Munson crashed his plane in 1979. Worst Yankees year for me ever because of that. Yeah. 1979 was really uh, brought down because of that. Obviously very somber and very sad. But um, obviously, yeah, when it comes to actual definitive records, like as far as how the team actually did... They did still win 89 games, but yeah, absolutely, of course, that happening just made it even worse. I mean, just terrible. Yeah, only 89 wins and finishing in fourth in the American League East that year, but once it happened to Thurman, it of course made it just infinitely worse. Just terrible. So I I totally understand that sentiment. Next, we have at JokerSean37 saying there were some very bad ones in the mid-80s. Yeah, in the mid to later 80s, like even that other reply said, yeah, that's uh, really tough. They did have some good years in the 80s, especially the early ones, like in 81 when they made the World Series and lost. And they managed to still have a good record heading into the mid-ish 80s, but then, yeah, like mid to late, that was when it started to get really bad, <laughs> for sure. At Javi En 114 says, yes, this one was for me the worst. Same here, man. Same here. At Tom Byron 4 says, 1965. Yeah. The mid to late 60s, even into the early 70s for sure. That was another bad era for sure. I'm glad I wasn't around in the mid 60s for that. And you're also just talking about like how great they always were before that from like the early 20s all the way through to like the mid 60s. Just a great, great team. Best team in the history of sports. I mean, they still are, even though they've really fallen from grace in the last bunch of years, but especially at this point, they were just nothing but great all the time. This was like really the first time in Yankee history where the team was bad, like really, really bad was the mid to late 60s. So that must have been really baffling for Yankee fans to have to deal with at that point because it was a completely foreign concept to them as far as all of history. So yeah, 65, totally hear you there. At RMNY 1976 says, 1990 probably was the worst, but we all knew they were going to be bad. This season pissed me off more, though, because this team arguably has the best hitter in the game and the best pitcher in the game, yet they ran back the same failed team around them using the same failed process to build and manage it. Totally agree, man. The expectations coming in, and like I just said, it's the Yankees, their money, their resources, all of it. Everything that they have right at their fingertips because of the fact that they are the New York Yankees. And the fact that last last year when they were talking about all the change, and this is why I said before, it's just a matter of what they actually end up doing because they could talk a big game, but what they actually end up doing could be totally different. Last winter they were saying, oh, we're not done yet. We got more to do after they signed Judge back. And yeah, they, they signed Rodon, 
but the lineup was really what was in dire need of improvement, and they didn't make any external moves. The only clear-cut differences coming into this year from last year was having Anthony Volpe at shortstop and adding Rodon to the rotation. None of that really helped the offense the way it had to be helped, and it really wasn't that much of a difference. Like <laughs> It really wasn't. Any other difference there was consisted of guys like Jake Bowers getting reps, and who does that help? No one. So, and you look at what they did at the deadline this year. It's probably the worst deadline I've ever been witness to in Yankees history in my time watching. So, that's why. It's just a matter of what they actually do compared to what they're saying that they're going to do. So yeah, given the expectations and everything else they have at their fingertips, obviously, yes, it makes this season infinitely more disappointing. 82 wins is absolutely and utterly unacceptable. There's just no two ways about it. And just running it back in a lot of the same ways, you're 100% correct. 100%. It's much different when you're expecting a team to suck and they suck rather than when you're expecting a team to do some legitimate damage and then they suck. It's a much different feeling. At Musician DMD, my buddy Spencer says, As a youngster, 1982. It was unorthodox watching the Yankees consistently lose. They'd finish in fifth under 500. For a fan my age, 1990 is the default answer, but I'm going to cite 1989. By 89, all the players I rooted for when I became a fan were gone. George Steinbrenner hired Dallas Green, who I didn't like. The New York Yankees also put 100 games on cable, leaving more than half the fans only able to watch 60 games. The 89 team was bad, had lost their identity, and contributed to my loss of interest in the Yankees, which wouldn't start to be restored until 94. Hmm. A lot of solid points made there. And yeah, that goes back to a few replies ago as well. Late 80s into those first couple of years in the 90s. That's, uh... Sounds like it was a really tough time to be a Yankee fan at that point. After the... The good record teams in the early to mid-ish 80s faded out, and the badness really started to kick in towards the later part of the decade and earlier into the 90s. Yeah, that thing about the cable, really interesting too, and we find ourselves in another interesting dilemma, even though it's not necessarily quite on that level as of now, but we find ourselves having the fan base, especially the older audience, mainly alienated from the games as well now with all this streaming crap. So it's very ironic that you happen to mention a viewership, a possible viewership dilemma when it came to the last time the Yankees were really bad. And now you have it happening again right now with the streaming platforms, with especially, again, a lot of the older audience being alienated from watching games. It's an interesting comparison there, and it's interesting you mentioned that. But I hear you, Spencer. At Burrow Dweller 73 says, I'd have to say 1979. The Yankees were coming off three straight pennants and two straight championships. When they came out in the spring that year, they looked sluggish and never really got on track. Thurman Munson's death in August also was the crowning indignity. Yeah, I mean, just terrible. Terrible. Yeah, the 79 team really did take that downturn, of course. But again, like a few replies ago also said, Thurman Munson's death obviously was just beyond tragic to add on to all that in an even worse way, infinitely worse way. At Don Bonnie says, 1990 and 1991 were very bad. I mean, really, really bad. Yeah, they were. Definitely were. At Cashman Sucks NYY says, this year. Same here, dude. Same here. At S-T-T-O-U Ponce says, 
1990 and 1992 for me. Yeah, it sounds like those first three years in the 90s, all dreadful. At Vinman23 says this one, no accountability. Yep, I mentioned that before. Just one of many things that they lacked. At Jeff Kagan1 says, I lived through the early 1970s, so it was pretty bad. Yeah, mid to late 60s through the early 70s. That was, uh, that was bad. As we've said, very bad. At Bryray underscore Yankee says, 1989 to 1992. Yep, frequently mentioned era. There you go, some more of it. At RR2577 says, 1990 and 1991 were very bad. Worse than the current team. But I have never disliked a manager as much as Boone. All right, fair enough. I know I'm not that big of a fan of Boone either, although I will admit that if he's fired this offseason, which I do not think is going to happen, I don't think anything is going to change as far as the running of this team, which is really not good for its future, in my opinion. That includes Brian Cashman. But if only Boone is fired in the event that it does happen, it's not nearly going to be enough. you got to do more than that. It's got to be the ones who really control things here. Brian Cashman and all those around him in his front office, we've spoken about him. Without that happening, it's going to be more the same for the most part. For the most part. But also back in the eras that you guys are talking about, it's interesting because ever since 1992, there have only been four managers because the last few managers have lasted a long time. Back in those eras, back in the late 80s into the early 90s, it felt like the Yankees were changing managers faster than people changed their shoes. I mean, it seemed like a different person was in there almost every single year at that point. I mean, whether it be late 80s, Billy Martin, and then Dallas Green, like Spencer mentioned, Bucky Dent, Stump Merrill, and then of course you had, in 1992, starting with Buck Showalter, he was there for a few years through 1995, and then Joe Torre from 96 to 07, and then Joe Girardi from 08 to 2017, and now Aaron Boone from 18 to now. So... The last few managers have been very long-lasting, but that was not the case back in some of these eras people are mentioning, especially in particularly the late 90s into the early 2000s when George Steinbrenner was just going nuts and constantly firing people. <laughs> That's just the way that it went. But uh, yeah, still nonetheless, I know a lot of people feel a certain type of way about Aaron Boone. I feel a certain type of way about him too. Even though the bigger fault goes to those over him, I believe. But yeah, I'm certainly no fan of his either. At Dooch2009 says, If you weren't alive in the late 80s to early 90s, then yes, this would qualify. But those of us who lived through those years will tell you there's no comparison. The 89 to 92 teams were an embarrassment. Yes, factually and mathematically so, there is no debating that. I agree. But as someone who was not around for those, yes, this, uh, this is the one. But I will not argue your point. At Salvatore B60 says, Buongiorno, Mike. Buongiorno, Salvatore. Got a chance to whip out some Italian right there. Salvatore says 1990, but 2023 is close. Wow, so even someone who did live through those is saying 2023 was at least close. That speaks volumes. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, great question. Well, thank you. <laughs> I would say this is the worst one. I became a fan in 1987 and those early 90s teams were bad, but I was too young to truly understand and was just falling in love with the game. This season actually ripped my heart out. No one blames you, Rebecca. It did that for a lot of people, including myself, who 
thinks that this was the worst season that they've ever witnessed in their own lifetime. So I cannot blame you. All right, we've read a bunch. Let's finish up with the usual final two, as always. First up is my girlfriend, Vic Salimo, and she says, hands down, this one. And not because we didn't make the playoffs, but because we didn't at least go down with a fight. This team lacked spark, lacked fire, and didn't even look like a team to me. They didn't vibe altogether at all. Minus Judge and Glaber, almost no one had a single clue. Totally agree, and even Judge missed a chunk of the season. It wasn't his fault. He gave up his body for a game-saving catch and just happened to run into a cement slab underneath a fragile bullpen gate. It happens. But yeah, Glaber was, uh, and Garrett Cole, of course, but if you're just speaking offensively, which was the main problem in this team because they finished in damn near last place, if not in last place in pretty much every offensive category known to man this year, (laughs) then yeah, you are correct. It was mainly the offense. From an offensive standpoint, Glaber was the guy, and that was really it for the most part. But yeah, obviously on top of the fact that they didn't make the playoffs, embarrassingly so in a six-team format, again, in a year where the American League really was up for the taking for the most part, um, all the other factors just lacking spark, fire, yeah, things we've been saying forever. They just were not a team. You nailed it. That's what we've been saying for a long time. You nailed it. And last but certainly not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, I believe this question will draw out the many fans from back in time and will have heard by this time in your podcast of other times in Yankee history where the team was just bad. I, however, believe in my 15 years of being a faithful Yankee fan that this was by far the worst playing I have ever seen. This coupled with their lifeless caring or desire to try winning was the worst thing I have ever witnessed. I look up to this dynasty, but this shook me. The owner is just uncaring to everything except his wallet. Cashman makes me sick. I pray that something majorly positive happens for next baseball season. Sad to see them gone for the year, though, still. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you for your submission, for your comment, Mom, and thank you to the rest of you as well. I'm infinitely appreciative to every single one of you who interact with this social media segment. You know that. You are all the best. I love you to death. And you're right. You are very right. Especially, I know you started watching shortly after I did. I know, obviously, you've been hearing about baseball for many years, going back decades and decades, but you really only started to really focus when I got really into it about 16 years ago. I do know that. So, you're judging by that time. And in that time, you agree with me, obviously, that this is the worst. You're not going to get any disagreements from me. And yeah, like Vic and so many others said, it was just the way they played. I mean, nothing about this season felt like it was a winning one. That's why the winning record, 82-80, and 80, just doesn't move the needle for me at all. It doesn't. It feels like anything but a winning season. And yeah, Hal and Cashman, <laughs> we have spoken at length about them, obviously, and will continue to all winter. I don't think anyone's going anywhere. Obviously, Howell owns the team. Unless he sells it, he's not going anywhere. Cashman's certainly not going anywhere, and I doubt even Boone is going anywhere. But if he is to go anywhere and it's just him, it won't do that much. Not nearly enough. they got to do a lot more than that. But something positive does definitely have to happen because there will be quite the outcry, that's for sure. If after this season, little to nothing changes, then that speaks volumes to the fan base. Definitely about their level of caring and their level of desire to 
to actually, well, even get back to the playoffs, let alone win a championship, which they have not even sniffed a whiff of in nearly a decade and a half of not even winning a pennant. As even that pennant drought, as we've said, is also reaching historical levels for the Yankees at this point. So yes, things very much have to change. Will they, though? That's the question. And that's the question that we will be pondering and talking about and discussing if change truly does happen for all the coming months, all throughout the winter, as we have a number of times for yapping Yankees already. This is the, let me see, we went through the 2019 and the 2020 offseason, 2020 offseason, 21, 22. So this is, I believe, the fifth offseason that we will be covering here on Yapping Yankees. We've covered a lot here on the show as we damn near approach our bicentennial episode in just a couple of weeks, episode 200, which is incredible. But heading into episode 198 next week, that'll be our first off-season episode. And for the next bunch of months, for even longer than usual, Lord knows that we will have all the time in the world to discuss everything there is to discuss with everything the Yankees can or should do in order to improve things over the disgrace that we just witnessed for the last six months for the arrival of the 2024 regular season. We've got a bunch of time, and it all starts next week, guys, starting on October 8th, which will be episode 198. And yes, I'll be briefly mentioning what's going on in the playoffs like I have in past years, and the Yankees have gotten eliminated because, of course, this is the first year since I started yapping Yankees, that the Yankees are not even going to the playoffs. This is the first time that's happening in yapping Yankees history. So we're going to have even more time than usual, but even in the past when the Yankees would be eliminated from the playoffs and there'd still be more to go, whether it be the rest of the playoffs after a wild card elimination or just the World Series after a CS elimination, I usually do cover what is left of it. Not very much, though, of course, because it's not the Yankees, and this is a podcast about the Yankees. But because it is still baseball, I will still briefly mention it because I am still a baseball fan at the end of the day and do still care what happens to a certain degree, even if it does not involve the Yankees. But of course, the Yankees are the number one priority. They are the most important thing on the Yapping Yankees podcast. And we will obviously discuss anything and everything regarding off-season discussion. But we will briefly be covering the playoffs, and eventually... Come maybe the end of October into the first week of November, we will obviously return to the off-season format of Yapping Yankees that started last year because we're so many years into the show now and I've accumulated so many episodes and during the off-season obviously there's less that happens. I can do it weekly, but a lot of the time there's just not really a point when people's focus is obviously elsewhere too. A thing that I started to do last year was I started to make the off-season format be bi-weekly. Unless in the event something big happens after I do an episode that prior Sunday. For instance, last winter I did do an episode, I believe this happened for both Judge and Rodon. But if not Rodon, it definitely did happen with Judge. I'll do an episode on a Sunday. And then for that next week, let's say something big happens on Wednesday. If a big signing or trade or what have you happens, or even something within the organization that is damn worth talking about, I will come back that next Sunday to do an episode so we can talk about it immediately. But if nothing does happen, then I'm going to stay true to the form that I took last off-season and make it a bi-weekly show. So that'll return to that, but I'm probably not going to do that until the playoffs are over. So we'll still be weekly, probably until like the first week of November, maybe the very end of October. I'll see what happens. But most important thing as for now, obviously, God willing, 
I plan on coming right back at you next Sunday and for the next bunch of Sundays until the playoffs are all wrapped up and done with. So that's the goal. We'll obviously see how things turn out. But as for right now in this moment, guys, that is all for the final regular season edition, episode 197 of Yapping Yankees Today for the 2023 season. Remember to follow me on all social medias if you do not already, my friends. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is Mike Scuds 97 Be sure to subscribe to all four platforms Yapping Yankees is available on. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love across all four of them like you all always do such a great job at doing, my friends. And if you've missed a Yapping Yankees episode... Do not fret because you could listen to any of them that you'd like. Episodes 34 specifically up to episode 197 today, though, are available on YouTube. And every single episode of Yapping Yankees, going back to episode one about four and a half years ago, those are all available all the way up to today's episode on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, though, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my good people, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, October 8th, when I come at you with episode 198 and the first 2023 Yankees offseason edition of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, as per usual, hang in there, be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, as always. And I did want to save this for the end of the show. I don't usually like to mention sad things before the end of the show, like right at the end, but I wanted to today because it's definitely it's definitely big news and it has to be said. But I wanted to offer my heartfelt condolences, thoughts, and prayers to the Wakefield family. Tim Wakefield was a very memorable knuckleball pitcher for the Red Sox. And he was in baseball for nearly two decades, of course, and many of us remember him probably because if you've been watching the Yankees for a long time and you've also in the same breath, obviously, because their arch rivals seen a lot of the Red Sox players through the last bunch of years, you would know who Tim Wakefield is. Class act and a very charitable man off the field as well, and he retired back in 2011, started in the league with the Pittsburgh Pirates at age 25 in 1992. And then after the strike was done with in 95, he went to the Red Sox and spent the remainder of his career there for 17 years. And becoming an iconic knuckleball pitcher, remembered by all, and obviously respected off the field greatly as well. And tragically, just today, he passed away from brain cancer at the age of 57. Just absolutely horrible to hear. My thoughts and prayers are with his family. And... It's just a really sad thing. I absolutely despise cancer with every fiber of my being. And it seems to have taken another great man today. So Tim Wakefield called to home on October 1st, 2023, at just age 57. Rest in peace, Tim. You will definitely be missed. So definitely a very sad day for baseball. And to my Red Sox fans out there, and I do have a good amount of them, many of which I do know listen to this show, and I'm infinitely appreciative to all of you as well, because you don't even like the Yankees, so I appreciate the hell out of that. Our thoughts and prayers are with you guys too. We know how much you guys loved Tim Wakefield and respected him and honored him, so 
We're here for you, Red Sox community. At least this Yankee fan is. And this definitely serves as a reminder to just keep on going out there and live life to its fullest, guys. Which is why I end each episode reminding you guys each week to just go kick life's ass. Just do the best you can. That's why I say that at the end of every week. And I also actually just got a notification from Major League Baseball saying the Mets and Marlins actually won't be playing that game for tomorrow, the suspended game, since there are no implications of playoff risk. So I guess that makes sense. Because again, even if the Marlins did finish with the same record as the Diamondbacks and tie for the second wild card, they would still be the second wild card team because they won the season series. So there's really no point in playing that game tomorrow. So that makes sense. So there will not be any more regular season baseball being played tomorrow. We're going right into the playoffs starting Tuesday with the wild card round, guys. And by the time we talk on the 8th next Sunday, the division series in both leagues should be underway. And so will Yankees offseason talk. So until next Sunday, my friends, take care. And as always, despite the nightmare that was the 2023 season, let's go Yanks. (laughs) 